Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Namaste, yogis. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. This is your host, Alec Vishal Rubin, and today we hear from world traveling yogi, marine activist, and Boulder, Colorado icon, Amy Ippoliti. Her commitment to learning about the wisdom of yoga from various lineages and teachers is reflected in the success of her career and creation of the 90 Monkeys Studio, where she trains inspired yogis looking to deepen their knowledge. Just that the, there was so much more to just, you know, relaxing or doing a pose or making a shape. And I knew that there was this vast, you know, infinity of information that, that, yoga held. Stay tuned as we take a leap into Amy Ippoliti's practice both on and off the mat, and even in the ocean with whale sharks and dolphins. Thank you for tuning in today to Yoga Revealed Podcast. My name is Alec Rubin, and it's such an honor to be here. We're tuned in with Boulder Icon and world traveling yoga instructor, who is also a marine conservationist, Amy Ippoliti. And thank you so much, Amy, for inviting us into your amazing studio here in beautiful Boulder, 90 Monkeys. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You know, we like to start the podcast off with just a little synopsis of who you are, how you came and stumbled upon the path of yoga and brought yourself here into Boulder. Wow, that's a big story. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, well, I started yoga when I was 16, and my mother was uh, my mother and I were both working out at a little fitness studio in New York City. I was a kind of exercise obsessed teenager, and I was working at the front desk in order to trade for fitness classes. And they added yoga to the schedule. I didn't think anything of it, but my mother did, and she. Uh, she invited me to, to come. She was like, why don't we try out the new yoga class? And I did, and I was pretty much hooked uh, once I got in there. Um, 
it was pretty far out back then when we started. Um, uh, the teacher that we had was, um, her name was Unaja. I'm in touch with her actually. And uh, it was super far out. This was the 80s. And, you know, we would do what we call like flow and glow yoga. So it's basically like warrior one, rest in child's pose, <laughs> you know, tree pose rest in child's pose and um and she just spoke about the universe and it was super cosmic and um we were chuckling in the in the back my mom and I and my sister came I think at one point too but we were chuckling because during shavasana she would do one of these guided relaxations where you relax each part of the body and uh she got to like you know the pelvis area and just basically was like relax you know it's like relax your chest relax your abdomen relax your genitals and we we just were like total beavis and butthead like laughing and chuckling in the corner and then she was like relax your anus (laughs) and so that was my start to yoga but I but there was something about the mystery of it and there was something about the um just that there was so much more to just you know relaxing or doing a pose or making a shape and I knew that there was this vast you know infinity of information that that yoga held not only in a academic way or in a historical way but in in terms of like knowing myself or the chance to understand myself was there in that little yoga class and um so that, that kept me kind of intrigued by yoga over the years, and I continued to do it um, throughout my whole, you know, teenage years and a young adulthood and now, you know, to now. So, yeah, and other than that, I've always been, always been uh, someone who's cared very deeply about the environment, about the animals on the planet, about um, the future of human life on the planet so from a very, very young age, and I think yoga was part of that, but the other thing I think that has always been a a running theme for me has been this wanting to know why I'm here and who I am, and people didn't really get that in high school, and I didn't really relate to a lot of the kids in high school um, growing up because I was like always looking for bigger answers. so it made me a bit of a loner in high school, and I told my mom I'm just going to do my homework and not really hang out with people, and she thought that was really odd. But in the end, um, it made me start from a pretty young age, you know, to try to understand my myself and who I was. So yeah, mm. and here I am. Wow. Yeah. That's a lovely story. It's a, a cool <laughs> intro to to yoga. That that first yoga class. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. When did um, you know, when did the idea of perhaps sharing what you enveloped yourself in and navigating your own practice? When did you decide to be like, I want to share this. I want to teach. Yeah, that's a really interesting story too. I I went from different teachers throughout my teenage years, you know, because they would come and go. Actually, in New York, it's so transient, and at some point, um my path led me to Cindy Lee who started Ohm Yoga Center in New York City and I was taking classes from her and I felt like um, shifting to her classes was like mind-blowing like it was from what I was doing to what she was offering was like this intensely different shift Um, 
poses I'd never seen and uh, flowing and vinyasa flow form of yoga. Um, she was based also in the Jiva Mukti tradition, so there was Ashtanga and all that. So the flow kind of came in more in my 20s, my early 20s. And um, so as she started offering teacher trainings, her very first teacher training, I watched, you know, the, the students kind of sign up and do her training. And I thought, wow, there's like a whole lifestyle. And then Cindy was bringing in teachers like Rodney Yee. And, um, you know, I was starting to hear about Patricia Walden and, mm. um, you know, all the Iyengar teachers, Mary Dunn and, um, and the Ashtanga. I was learning about Ashtanga and Jiva Mukti and seeing that there was actually this sort of underground lifestyle going on. Because let's remember, this was the 90s at this point. Yoga was really not mainstream at all. It was very fringe at that point. So I was hearing about this, going to some of these workshops with master teachers and realizing, wow, there's this whole group of people that are studying this and going deeper into this and, and making a life around this. And so it kind of piqued my interest, but I thought, oh, I've only been doing yoga for 10 years, 11 years, or, you know, I, I'm not, you know, ever going to be a teacher. I mean, but in the back of my mind, there was this little, like, hope that I could do what they were doing. And so I got the guts to ask Cindy um, to apply for her teacher training. It was the second one she'd ever offered. And I, and she kept announcing it, and I would, like, wimp out about like going up and getting the application. And it was like the deadline, like, you know, you got to apply by, you know, this yeah. date now. You got to take this piece of paper now because it was a paper application. How funny is that? Like it wasn't even online. <laughs> like you have to take this piece of paper now or like it's going to be too late to take this next training. And so I literally had to, I don't know why I was so shy, but I literally had to make my body walk over to her at the end of class and ask for the application and I was and I had to speak the words like Cindy I would like to apply for your teacher training and uh, I just had to make myself do it because I was so feeling unworthy to teach and because and, back then like everyone who taught was sort of like in their late 30s or early 40s at the youngest Okay, like it's real different now. So I was 26 and thinking I'm too young, right? And I was the youngest one in the training, absolutely. So I made myself say the words. She looks at me and she goes, oh my God, that's great. You know, she was so excited that I wanted to apply. And I was absolutely flabbergasted, took the application, totally applied, got in, and started the training and on the very first night of the training I just was so psyched that I was in it I was so honored and so you know pumped to be in this training learning more about yoga and I said to Cindy listen Cindy I just want you to know that I'm in this training to learn more about yoga I don't think I'm going to teach I just really want to learn more and she was like shut up you're going to teach <laughs> and it was in that moment I knew I was going to be a teacher that she believed that I could do it. And that belief in me is the, like, that was it. I just knew, okay, I, I'm worthy. I can yeah. do this. I'm here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started, you know, I took the training and started teaching right after. Wow. So. I feel like that's so <laughs> humble of you to feel like you're not worthy to teach when you've been practicing for years at that point to be like, I don't know. 
I had a high regard for yoga. I had a very high regard for the practice, for the study of it, for the academic nature of it. And I just thought, you know, like any other major degree, that you had to, you know, really be worthy to do it. You know, like a PhD. I, I yeah, really yeah. saw it that way. And, and I thought I was too young because there weren't any other young teachers really, mm. you know, that I saw in New York. Everybody was sort of venerable, mm. you know. <laughs> so that's really changed. And I'm probably part of the reason it changed because I was, I was the youngest one. And more and more were doing that. You know, it was it was getting younger and younger as it got more popular and more mainstream. Mm. It got younger and younger. Mm. So. Wow! Cool. <laughs> anyway. That's powerful. It's amazing. Cool. So, kind of back into our intro of um, you traveling the world and teaching yoga, not only in America but I correct me if I'm wrong, Japan. That's one of the places. One of the places. <laughs> Do you speak Japanese? No. No. Okay, so <laughs> no. no teaching yoga in Japanese. No, I use translators when I'm in wow. countries that I don't speak the language. Cool. Yeah. What other countries do you teach across the globe? I've taught in Malaysia, Thailand, Japan, Korea, Hong Kong, um, all throughout South America, Australia, New Zealand, uh, all over Europe, mm. and Canada. Mm. I don't wow. think I'm forgetting anything. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I've been all over the world. What a gift. To do. It's really been quite a life. I can't, I'm very grateful. Could you speak to any difference that is in the, I'm very mindful when I use the word culture of yoga mm-hmm. in America. Mm. Can you speak to a difference of how the yoga shows up outside of America, whether it is in India, in Asia, in um, Canada, in Europe, if you will, Australia. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, I think, I mean, I think it's, in the past, it was one of those things where I would go to a different country and felt like the consciousness or the knowledge around yoga was maybe like 10 years behind or five years behind that of the States. Just the knowledge and the level of practitioner um, I find that that's changing rapidly with the advent of technology and accessibility to yoga. It's really much more homogenous now. Like you go to a country, or I'll go to a country, and I feel like, wow, these guys are... They're ready. You know, they're, they're pretty knowledgeable, and they have like a thing, you know. And one of the things that's always been lovely about going to other countries is that when you walk into the yoga studio there's that feeling of yoga community that's instant like there's family a family feeling that's never never been different when I've gone to other countries like oh there's the people in there be present and you know prana and you know like lululemon clothing like (laughs) you see them in the clothes and you're like give me a hug you know there's just that feeling of family um wherever I go but more and more I'm seeing a a gap closing between you know uh, other countries being behind the states in their understanding and level of practice because of the the technology just it's so much more accessible now we have yogaglow.com where you can take classes with incredible teachers online you know even if you live in a remote place in the Middle East um, you know you can take incredible classes so and then, you know, with, with the, the two-dimensionality of Instagram isn't obviously as um, 
tactile or um, <clears throat> personal, but you know, people are looking at pictures and trying out different poses and shapes with their bodies mm-hmm. and advancing their practice. Mm-hmm. So there's this way in which you know, the, the accessibility is bringing a lot more um, parity between <clears throat> between uh, uh, other countries and the states. Mm. Yeah. It almost sounds like <clears throat> from your first class, it still is an underlying connection, the cosmic connection of our yoga from like, you know, human to human. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Totally. And so, you know, through that, I think one of the biggest things that <clears throat> we're inspired to share through Yoga Revealed podcast is revealing to our listeners that you know incredible instructors like yourself who've been so tethered into the practice are in so many ways so similar to all of us in ways that we've all gone through stipulations and challenges and just trivial um, experiences of being human and how you have constantly um, returned to your practice as the perhaps saving grace to bringing you back to present moment and having a newfound form of faith and trust in the universe or whatever you know you and we we hold high what do you feel like has been one of the biggest um, challenges that have been the catalyst to your success as a practitioner as a teacher hmm I'm gonna think about that one that was another big question um Say it again. So what have been one of the biggest challenges in your life Mm -hmm. through the practice of yoga that has allowed you to return back to the practice as saving grace? Mm. I've had an interesting journey. I don't know if I'll answer your question exactly, maybe what you're looking for here, but I've had an interesting journey with practice um, because so much of practice for me is about community. Or, or the growth that I have as a person is about my relationship to other Kalyana Mitras, which is a Sanskrit word for friend on the path. Say it again. Kalyana Mitra. Mm. So it means friend on the path. So, so rather than the actual practice on my mat necessarily being the thing that makes me grow, although mm. it does, what is so much more in depth is that that, that practice on the mat actually connects me to other people who have a practice on the mat and when we are both connected with our practice on the mat we can actually reflect to one another um, in a a way of growing so I can have my Kalyanamitra my friend actually call me out on you know stuff that isn't true about me or you know isn't um, isn't serving me Um, I can have them reflect back some beauty that I'm not seeing in myself. Mm. Um, But because they are in a process of of awakening their own consciousness on the mat, they're able to be there for me and vice versa. So a lot of my my challenges in in the practice have been um, addressed through community, through Mm. yoga community. I don't know if that makes sense. That makes so much sense. I love that. But, um, you know, and I've also had, like, such a journey with my practice. Like, I, I, um, I've had a lot of injury in my life um, from overuse or athletics, um, from not understanding how to align my body in poses. Um, and I've had, I've gone through difficult times where the practice was even too much for me to bear. I don't know if that makes sense, but mm. I've gone through difficult 
times where I get on the mat and it's like it makes me cry to be on my mat because it puts me in my body and I've already been crying enough so it makes me not want to practice I've had challenges like that with with the mat um, some, a lot of people when they go through crisis they're like get me on the mat but I was when I went through a really deep crisis I was crying so much that I couldn't get on the mat because it would make me cry more and I had to actually get out on the trail and hike it off like I had to blow off steam so I've and, and that was detrimental to my practice because it meant I wasn't in asana shape for a time and so my practice has been a lot about like not being on the mat and then trying to get back on it. <laughs> so I feel that <laughs> I feel that not practicing <laughs> is sometimes way too easy. When you get when you get hurt mentally yeah. or physically. And for you yeah. that was was getting out and going hiking. That had to be my practice, but it had consequences to my physical practice because if you get out of yoga shape, then you go back to do yoga, you can get injured. Because you, cause you go back to where you thought you were. I mean, anybody does this at the gym. It's like you don't work out for a while. Then you go back to the gym and you're lifting the same amount of weight and squatting the same amount of reps and you blow your knee out. Mm. It's that, you know, that happened to my mom a few times. You know, she would just go in and out of the gym. Consistency mm. is so key. So I've had challenges with, with that when so life has thrown me, you know, curveballs. It's, it's, I haven't been the best at making my practice work for me in a consistent way and so I've had to sort of part of my practice is working with that you know and kind of paying the price for that and then figuring out how do I get back in yeah, and I got to yeah. get back in slowly when you've been off you really have to go back in slowly or you can get hurt by especially that, the level that I was practicing at. <laughs> so by that do you mean practicing with like a level of modification well, you have to ease into it as though you're a beginner again. If you go off the mat for a while, you have to ease in as a beginner would or just be cautious. That's what I've learned along the along the way is you can't go back into where you were or you will really get hurt. You can. You can. So go back slowly, mindfully. Um, don't Don't let the ego take you back to where you were. Get back into it slowly. And enjoy that process rather than, oh, I got to get to that scorpion again and touch my foot to my head. You know, that's what I would do is I'd just go right back to where I was. Mm. So I've had a lot of um, challenge in that regard. It's like, oh, you stepped away. Now you have to step back in. Mm. So, and you have to step back in in a mindful way. I think kind of leading to the next question, when you step back in, and this could kind of weave into the cosmic level, Mm -hmm. answer this in any way you may why do you practice and what is it that you're truly practicing mm -hmm. I think I mean I practice to I mean like anybody to feel better to feel good um, but I also I also love the way every practice is different I think it's you know, I think we sometimes get into this, oh, I'm in this routine, I have to just do this static thing, um, you know, and, and do this kind of like series of poses or I have to stay on my mat for this long. And it gets really regimented. And I think what is most enjoyable is how each practice has a different bob. It has a different feeling. And um, that that's why I like to go back to it is just to just be like, oh, 
what will it bring today? Um, mm. And I think, you know, since I have rehabbed a lot of my own injuries and my students too, to me, having the practice not be about achievement as much as, oh my God, I was able to do something like this much and it didn't hurt. Mm. Like I was able to do this without pain. That's such a triumph. And to see the practice that way as opposed to, oh my God, I nailed handstand in the middle of the room. You know, like that's fun too, but it's practice has also been this thing of just enjoying the little things. So it's really taught me that. And so I, I live for that, you know, just that enjoyment. I love that. Of like I love just, that. oh my God, I did this little thing. So what do you feel <clears throat> is your duty to your students as a teacher? Mm-hmm. And then even more so, what is your duty to the world as a practitioner? It's a great question. I love it. Um, you know, my students are coming to me um, for whatever knowledge and information I have to share. And they, they come to study and they come to be inspired and um to feel better about themselves. And I think if I'm not doing that for myself, so if I'm not getting inspired and if I'm not keeping up with the practice and having a kind of curiosity about my own uh, practice and my own body and kind of like what things might feel good and what things might open me up and what things might inspire me, then, you know, what business do I have actually sharing with others? So my duty to them is to stay connected to the practice and to stay mm. to stay um, motivated to take action toward my own dreams and goals in life. And so, yeah, I mean, just staying on top of my own personal growth is the best thing I can do for my students. Mm. Yeah. I think that answers both questions. Totally. <laughs> I forgot what the other, the other one, was. one was. What's your duty to the world? Oh, well, yeah, yeah totally. totally I mean, yeah, and I think, you know, um, for the world, it's like yoga helps us raise awareness, but I hope that more than that, it helps us to, when we become aware, to then take action, to be a more conscious human on the planet, to be more kind, to be more um, uh, deliberate in our choices, mm. you know, so... Um, duty to the world is you know be that example but but also find ways to motivate my students to take action in their lives and not just you know not just kind of swim through life being aware but not even doing anything about it when you're aware you got to do something about it Mm. you can't just be aware it takes courage yeah yeah you got to take action have you ever had moments, days, chapters through this practice where you felt uninspired? Oh my God, of course. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. How do you tap back into that like <laughs> connected source of being like, ah, yeah. yes. Yeah, you know, a lot of it is, is the company we keep. So... Mm. So I, when I'm feeling uninspired, it's usually because I haven't been diversifying the company that I'm keeping. So I'm not hanging out with enough different kinds of people. Like maybe I'm just with one person all the time or, um, you know, the person that I work with or the person I'm sharing my home with or whatever. It's like 
that's inspiring on one level, but you have to diversify your hang time with different people. So I, you know, like the other day, it was my birthday and I went to, I decided I was going to hang out at the spa with my girlfriends for like the whole day and just leave, you know, to get food kind of a thing. Um, and what, what was extraordinary about it, and it's such a cliche, is that like I got inspired, one, because I was diversifying the company that I had kept. I was with these awesome women that I hadn't seen in a long time that just totally fired me up. But the other thing is that I was, I was um, receiving. So I was receiving treatments. I was receiving um, the birthday love and just the pampering and all of that. And it completely shifted my energy from kind of like, you know, going along stressed out, not that inspired to, oh my God, you know, I have so much to give. I have so much, you know, I like I wanted to massage people after that. You know, so a lot of it is like let yourself receive, you know, we receive nice. pampering or self-care and, um, and, and receive good company and you're going to get inspired. I think so. that's a great little nugget for <laughs> anybody because, yeah. you know, every day is different. Totally. <laughs> totally. So cool. So, you know, I think for any of us that are listening, whether we are teachers, which most likely would have meant we are students, mm-hmm. how do we become better students? A. B. How do we become better teachers? More aware on both levels. Mm-hmm. How do we become better practitioners and teachers well that's a beautiful question and I think it's a question that's not getting asked enough right now Mm. um so I'm glad you asked it but it's I think what's interesting about the world we are living in right now is that uh to be a student there's this way in which I how do I say this well um right now we have these devices called iPhones and smartphones and all they do is update so they update software and so in this in this way like we're always getting on to the next thing the newest thing rather than looking back rather than looking back historically at what's come before us I think to be an extraordinary student you have to look forward and you have to be in the present moment but you also need to be able to look back toward history what came before us in order to uh, glean information from that history. So um, when we, it's, it's, it's basically like learn from the past is you're going to learn from mistakes of the past. You're going to learn from, uh, you know, historical events. You're going to learn from someone who has been there before, someone who has made the cut so a lot of being a student is being mentored by someone who's done it before you and has made the cut. So there's this way like a student has to be able to scan or um, span time really well to be a great student. So it isn't just, oh, look what the next update is. Mm-hmm. It isn't just, oh, let me learn from my peers. You can learn from your peers, but you also have to look back and be mentored so I think mentorship is something that's kind of lost its uh, appeal because there's this energy of updating and constantly looking forward. Um, so I think 
being a great student is allowing yourself to be mentored, is to get under somebody's wing who's been there before. Um, when you're able to do that, you can always sit back with the knowledge that you have that mentor behind you so that then when you're teaching, they've got your back. When you're teaching, then you feel deeply supported by the love and the the nurturing of that mentor. Um, it lifts you up. So I there's never a day goes by when I'm teaching that I don't feel I, my mentor is behind me. Mm. So I think that um, teaching then becomes uh, an expression of how much studentship and how much dedication, how much devotion you've had to the span of time, but also working with your teachers. So there's a kind of lineage that has gotten lost, I think, in the technological age where we're learning from pictures. You know, we're not learning from human beings who've made the cut, who have actually, like, yeah. succeeded. And they know how they, you know, they know what to tell you to get there. Yeah. So we have to connect back to our, our human ancestors in a way. And I know there's a whole, like, be in the moment, live in the now, and this thing, but, like, like, if we didn't learn from our past, I mean, we'd be idiots, <laughs> you know? So it's like, learn from the past. Yeah. Don't be afraid of the past. Yeah. yeah, sure, let go of the past. You know, you want to let go of stuff that's not serving you from the past anymore, but learn from it. That means you have to study it. And, and just like any good yoga teacher, you got to know history. You have to know yoga history, yoga philosophy. That's something that happened before us. So, so. what of the... Um... And I would probably put myself in this in this mm -hmm. category of the instructors who, you know, started their yoga practice, were so inspired, they dove in, they're fully dedicated, and they started teaching. Mm -hmm. How do we, as teachers and practitioners who are still practicing, how can we continue to search for, for those in our hometown or what if we're kind of in a, a secluded area and there are no tethered teachers? How do we continue to stay in the practice of learning mm -hmm. as teachers mm -hmm. so then we can have someone under our wing so you can have someone under your wing eventually you mean sure not so much me but mm -hmm. i mean um, the whole light of the yoga instructors who are who've been teaching for under five years mm -hmm. how about that how do how do those category of teachers continue? get under someone's yeah wing? yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's hard yeah. Well, I think, I don't think it's that hard. I think that those teachers need to ask. Mm. Um, they need to perhaps be proactive about traveling. I mean, there's, I think it's so easy to fall into the trap of, oh, I've got my iPhone. I can just, you know, look and scroll through pictures yeah. and read, you know, 40 word captions and think that I'm studying yoga. But I, but that that one-on-one -on -one human connection, you have to seek that out. I mean, I can't even tell you how much money and time and resources I spent to get on the road to follow my teachers. I went, yeah. I mean, I showed up at workshops where they were sold out and I just had faith that I would get in. And I traveled across the world on a plane to a sold out workshop to get in and got there, didn't have housing oh. and had to ask, can anybody oh. put me up? That's how badly I wanted to get in front of my teachers. Yes. We take for granted now that we have these iPhones and we can scroll. Mm -hmm. But it's, 
you have to be seen, you have to be touched, you have to be in the flesh with your teacher mm. at some level if you really want to learn, learn and, and go to the next level and, mm. and have someone see you and, and call you out and like, you know, <laughs> be really firm with you about what you need to do to like rock out as a teacher. And so, you know, the, I can tell you that I traveled all over. I used to have a huge backpack and finally realized I need a wheelie bag. <laughs> I'm getting on planes to do what I need to do. I went into debt to, to learn and to apprentice with my teachers. Now, I don't recommend anybody go into debt. I had extreme faith that if I learned enough and I got under these teachers' wings, that when I got back, I would make the money back. And I did. So, but I don't recommend going into debt ever to anybody, but it is what I did to afford the flights and to afford the books that I was reading and everything. Um, but that's, that's the depth of, of how much studentship I had. And so I would say, do what you got to do to get hand in hand and, and learn and, you know, devote yourself to learning, devote yourself to that teacher, to that lineage not in a creepy culty way at all but like you've got to get into their field you've got to get into their field you know and and ask for the teaching when you take a step toward a teacher like that they'll take two toward you Hmm. but you got to ask you have to step it up what amazing bhakti oh (laughs) that's so beautiful thanks yeah no thank you yeah well it's i don't see that drive as much anymore i see it in people like you but I don't see that drive very much anymore. And I miss it. I miss mm. that drive. And I have students that are doing it, but it's not like it was a few years ago. Cause, and I think it's technology. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, technology, it too easily creates some form of delusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well put. And yeah. so I think it's almost our opportunity to share and reveal you know the the truest sense of yoga possible yeah mm. you know let's um <laughs> let's kind of segue gears a little bit into um your passion of marine conservation yay <laughs> a few weeks ago i was so blessed to be in santa monica and ran into you mm. at the prana opening store and so you gave cool. this amazing short 10-minute <laughs> talk that I feel like could have been a five-hour talk. Oh, that's so sweet. Gosh. I was so happy when you walked in the room <laughs> with Andrew and everybody. Yes. I was, that made my, that just touched me so much that mm. you guys were there. Um, yeah, I've, I've always been um, an activist. Um, I was an environmental and animal rights activist in high school. Yeah, I was like standing on the front lines. I got arrested. I mean, the whole thing. <laughs> totally. yes. I know. I, I was really into it. Um, and as I became a yoga teacher, I, you know, when I became a yoga teacher, I kind of felt like, well, I don't want to be this preachy activist anymore. Let me, let me, you know, raise awareness in a different way through yoga. And I feel like that's been a great path for me. And now looking at the planet and just how detrimental the situation is with, um, you know, we've got species going extinct. We've got, um, the oceans are just, the coral reefs are dead. Um, you know, we, we really are in a time where 
there's people like you know who are in their 20s who have never seen the technicolor of the of the coral reefs like in their whole lifetime they they haven't gotten to see that I sort of feel like I'm in this age where you know I I did get to see the beauty before it was destroyed and it's just we, there's still a lot we can do and there's a lot of hope um, left for the planet. Um, the movie Racing Extinction just came out and it's just been so inspiring. Um, a local filmmaker here in Boulder who made The Cove um, created this movie Racing Extinction. It's the sequel to The Cove. And um, so I feel like that movie is going to bring a lot of hope um, to get people actually taking action toward even just one thing to reduce their carbon footprint. So been a big environmentalist and marine conservation has been more of a recent foray um, because I've met, uh, actually, ironically, people here in Boulder, Colorado. We're all landlocked here in the mountains, but we have some of the most powerful marine conservationists on the planet living right here in Boulder. Wow. And that's my, my partner, Taro Smith, who um, is an underwater photographer and conservationist, um, Sean Heinrichs, also underwater photographer and the star of, one of the stars of Racing Extinction. Um, and then, of course, Luis Sohoyas, who made the movie. But um, so I've been hanging out a lot with them. And in the process of that, we've been doing a lot with photography underwater with marine animals and... I'll do yoga underwater with these animals and had to do a bunch of training to make that happen underwater. A lot of pranayama, a lot of stuff. But um, yeah, we're looking at a picture right now of me and Lotus with a whale shark. It's <laughs> a huge shark. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, it's probably like a 30-footer or something. Oh my God. But, um, we, our hope with these images is to create awe, you know, is to inspire awe when you see a, a peaceful yogi meditating next to a manta ray or a whale shark or a dolphin. Um, it it just stirs um, it stirs the heart really, and it gets people to share, and then it, that raises some awareness about these species. Like so, when you see the beauty of this animal, rather than maybe what some activists do, which is show the horror or the slaughter of the animal, that makes people sad. So when you actually see an, an interspecies connection and a gorgeous image, you're like, whoa, what is that animal? And it, it's, it educates people and it starts a conversation and it starts a, a kind of viral sharing and people will protect what they love. So if they love that image, they love that animal, they'll take action to protect. Um, We've seen, you know, since even the release of Racing Extinction, incredible um, increases in donations to, you know, wild aid organizations that are helping um, to protect endangered species in the oceans and also protect against pollution of the oceans and that kind of thing. So, you know, I think um, we're going to continue as much as we can to create imagery get it out there, get the story behind it out there, and um, really try to inspire people, again, to be educated and take action. Wow. So, yeah. When you're doing your training, I imagine scuba tank and scuba diving was included in this no. training? No. No, it was all free diving. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, it's all free dive. No ujjayi breathing underwater. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you get it done beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, absolutely amazing. Do you have a next dive trip planned in 2016? 
We do. Um, we don't have the details really out there yet, yeah. but we, we, we always have something on the docket. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, we're excited totally. to, to share these images more and more. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. So special, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Cool. Um, I it's was been looking, a dream. <laughs> was, you're in a dream. Well, it's been a dream it's really been a dream. to not only to swim with these animals, like wild dolphin swim, I mean, <sighs> ridiculous. Um, it's been a dream to do something for animals underwater. I mean, I. I've been fighting for animals my whole life, but never really could do the ocean until I met these these awesome boulder activists. So it's it's uh, it's really been an amazing few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blessings. Totally. I was looking on your website, and I need you to fill in the blank for me. But Wild Spirit mm-hmm. Incorporated. Wild Spirit Yoga Inc. Wild Spirit <laughs> Yoga Inc. Yeah. What is that? That's just a, a name I made for my business entity since I had to, you know, had to create some sort of official sure. <laughs> business. But um, the name came because one day I had to name it. I had to give it a name and I was sitting by my house and at the time I lived on um, 160 acres. I was renting a little place on 160 acres wow. and I was letting my cats out and I was sitting in the grass and my cats were out and one of them got the kitty crazies. And which, you know, like, you know what the kitty crazies are, right? Like they start, like they get really zany and start like zigzagging (laughs) all over. So my cat Stinky start taking off, like tearing across the lawn, like at a hundred miles an hour and like zigzagging all over the lawn that came running at me. And he had this just, he was just like a wild man. And I went, wild spirit. (laughs) And I went wild spirit yoga (laughs) and then that's what yeah i just named my my little business entity that and my website for a while was called wildspirityoga.com and then i just recently changed it a few years ago to amyapolity.com but yeah that's where the name came from my kitty that's awesome (laughs) cool story yeah how do you feel yoga will save the planet hmm well, yoga, one of the great benefits of yoga is, is how it increases your sensitivity and your awareness. So you start, when, when you do yoga, you start to eat differently, more healthy. You start to really understand the way in which you're a consumer on this planet. So we all consume. We, there's no escape. Yoga is not an escape from anything. And it's certainly not an escape from being a consumer, meaning you eat things and you buy things and and that kind of thing. But what it does do is it 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 hones your sensitivity to the point that you you can make better choices as a consumer, if mm. that makes sense. Yes. So because of your your sensitivity and awareness, you just choose differently. And you choose with more kindness. You choose with more consciousness. You choose with more knowledge. You choose with more education, ra- rather than just going through life going, "Oh, look at the Twinkies," and like, "Let me just get this unrecycled paper for the house." And you know, I know that money is also a factor in that. But um, you know, there's there's people that don't use paper towels at all in their home. They use rags mm-hmm. to wipe up stuff on the floor and whatever and then they'll put them in the wash or they'll hand wash them I mean there's the consciousness that gets raised as a yogi is literally going to change the world 
Mm. Because, yeah, we're all consumers. We recognize that, but we're going to consume differently. We're going to consume with more mindfulness. We can we can live on the earth sustainably. Mm. Yeah, I think and just like anything, that takes practice. Yeah, and, and I think too, like relationships as well. Relationships and personal growth. I think that yoga helps people tap into a process of of lifetime of personal growth and consciousness within relationship so that business becomes more conscious even um so it'll change the world that way too Mm. through relationship and consciousness in in relationship Mm. i think that'll weave us into our next question in light of um business focus i feel that you're such an example Mm. of a human being in this huge multi-billion dollar industry of yoga that has you know sustained yourself financially and is so true to your own practice of yoga and how you practice it and how you share it and you teach Mm. it what do you feel has been one of the biggest catalysts to your success as an instructor Mm. I think kind of a little preface to that would be you know your studentship and how you were so committed to spending money to go and learn and then you Mm -hmm. came back and you're like I will make it back Mm -hmm. it might take time Mm -hmm. but you know kind of with that being understood and shared already what was the next step the catalyst to Mm -hmm. yeah well I think there's there's it's a multifaceted answer I can give you I think on the one all yogis have to understand that it's not evil to be in business. Um, There's a kind of oil and water reaction to yoga and business or yoga and commerce or yoga and transaction. And so the very first thing to understand in that is to embrace the fact that we are in a culture and in a world that has transaction, that you do one thing and you get something for it and vice versa. Now, a lot of schools of yoga that came over to the West, especially um, schools that were connected to asana and hatha yoga, um, had a sense of like asceticism, renunciation, this kind of thing was how you got to enlightenment. And that kind of got put onto the hatha yoga world or the world of asana. Um, is that you know, you need to renounce possessions, you need to live an aesthetic lifestyle, you shouldn't want, you know, material things, blah, 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 blah. Now, that would be kind of the setup for a disaster in the 21st century as a yoga teacher who's trying to make a living, (laughs) right? I mean, that's just, that's like a setup for catastrophe because you're going to do really poorly and, you know, now the thing, and then everyone says, well, in India, nobody paid for yoga. Well, it's, there were different forms of transaction. There was dakshina, um, mm. where the student made offerings to the teacher in exchange for the teachings. There, w- it wasn't maybe like this costs five hundred dollars for this training. It was more mellow, kind of back and forth. But we are now in the twenty first century, and we have to embrace where we're at. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. So there, it, and the other thing to recognize is that yoga is an education. It's not a spiritual thing only Mm. we're learning about wellness we're learning about physicality we're learning about history we're learning about philosophy it is an education does education not cost money in most schools no it costs money so you have to remember that you're an educator and so therefore 
you receive money because you're, it's, it's not just a spiritual education you're giving somebody. That would be church. Hmm. Okay, church, the basket goes around for the donation, but there isn't, there isn't a thing like, it costs this much to get into church, give it to me. So you are not a preacher as a yoga teacher and you're not a spiritual educator only. Therefore, because you are an educator and you're hopefully a scholar, mm. right? You need to be receiving money just like any professor would for that education or school would for that education. So that's the first thing is I recognize that. Mm. And so once you don't feel guilty about charging for your services, right? Or marketing your services, because guess what? If you have something really awesome to offer, then you need to get the word out about it. In fact, it would be a disservice to the community for you not to tell everybody about your awesome yoga classes. So there's this other piece of like, it's okay to promote your classes and your offering, right? Because you, you've got to get the word out about this awesome thing that is going to change people's lives. So that's the first piece is like recognize that there are other schools of yoga that believe in in connecting to what is material as well as more ephemeral and that those things can be embraced in a paradox of harmony if that makes sense yeah. so it's like it's okay to uh to to connect with the material world <laughs> like mm -hmm. so there's other schools of yoga that just didn't come over with the ones that influenced many of the hatha yoga schools that came over from the east to the west and that's tantra basically mm. the tantric schools um have a different relationship to material things so i can get i could go on about that maybe in a different podcast but um the second thing is what I did when I started to recognize that my business skills were really pathetic um, early on and that I was like having a tough time really making a living at yoga. Um, I mean, I guess I never had a very tough time because I was also at the right place at the right time. I feel like when I started teaching, I like I kind of rode the wave of the yoga popularity craze. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of like an established teacher when Madonna and Sting, you know, started telling everybody that they had a yoga practice. Cool. And that's kind of but like it was like 1998. And that's when yoga became insanely popular and kind of has been becoming more and more popular every year. I was there at the right time. So I've always done OK. What who wasn't doing OK were my students and the teachers I had trained. They were having a tough time because they were in. And you might feel this too, like, like such a, a competitive environment. Like it's, there's just so many yoga teachers right now. When I started, there weren't a lot. Um, but my, I saw my trainees having that difficulty. And so I wanted to help them. And so to your point about studentship, as much as I had read the scriptures and the Bhagavad Gita and studied philosophy and, you know, gone down the academic road of yoga, I turned my attentions to business and marketing and financial management. So I started to study that so I could help other teachers get a clue about business. Because I realized I, I was just lucky, but I didn't have business skills. They were unlucky and didn't have business skills. <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting at this? So I was like, all right, I'm lucky. I'm in a position to like 
study the business stuff as much as I've studied the yoga and then I'm going to share that and that's when we started 90 minutes to change the world which is a, a, a course that I teach online um, and we started 90 monkeys shortly thereafter which is a website dedicated to well it's a, an online and in-person school dedicated to um, helping yoga teachers advance in their careers and so yeah, That's I so turned pivotal. around That's and I huge. was like, I'm going to teach people, the yoga teachers, especially the ones I've trained, I'm going to teach them how to get by and how to do this right. Because you have to study. You have to study the container that's going to hold your teachings. That's your business. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the thing that's going to enable you to give your offering to the world. And without that proper structure, you're just going to be floating through your career. And... To the tantric point, you have to have something material and structured and stable that holds the container of the ephemeral. Mm. So your teachings and the amazing offerings that you give have to have some kind of structure or else there's no delivery. It's almost like fields in India have irrigation systems. There's walls, bandhas, which direct the water to the plants. Mm. You need something, a wall, a boundary, a structure that's going to get your message out to the world and your yoga out to the world. And you can't just go, oh, you know, I'm so bad at that stuff. I'm a yogi. And like, don't, don't make an excuse. Learn. <laughs> Learn how to have that structure. Hmm. So, wow, Nin 90 minutes to change the world. Well, that was the initial course that I made as an offering to help yoga teachers advance in their careers, get more time on the mat because they weren't practicing anymore. They're like teaching 18 classes a week, get out of that cycle of burnout. Not so sustainable. Yeah, and, and, and also fill their classes and, you know, have a retirement plan and all those things. So we that was 90 Minutes to Change the World, and then it kind of morphed into, wow, we could make – we could fill the gaps in people's teacher trainings, like where they didn't get enough information – in their teacher trainings, not just in business, but maybe philosophy. Maybe they didn't get enough anatomy. Maybe they didn't get enough um, special population training like prenatal. Maybe they didn't get, you know, enough about what it takes to be a yoga teacher. And so we created courses uh, through 90monkeys.com, courses that, you know, fill the gaps in all those different areas. Like, I think it's a misconception that you come out of a teacher training and you know everything. Like, oh, I did my 200 hour, I did my 300 hour, and now I'm ready to rock. You know, like that training may not have given you enough of the thing that you're weakest at mm -hmm. because it was, it was not customized for you. It was a general program for everyone. So if you need more information about anatomy or philosophy because like either the training didn't give it to you or it's like you're just weaker in that area like you haven't studied enough in that area there's a course for you so we we wanted to fill those gaps for people and let them customize and it's also how we're running our advanced teacher training curriculum here at 90 monkeys in our in-person schools like come and take whatever course and training in person works for you and it will fill your gap and we'll you know, enhance the skill levels that you need rather than like, here's this 300 hour program, we're going to spit on you. <laughs> it's like, like, and it's, it may have a little bit of everything you need, but, or, or like everything that we think you need, but this is a way of customizing your education. It's how I learned. It's like, I just took the trainings I felt I needed the most. Mm -hmm.
Like I never took a 300-hour training. Mm. I just did a lot of different trainings <laughs> that I felt would round out my skills. Huge. So anyway, it sounds like Tangent. You, no, I love the tangent. It sounds like <clears> you, you planted the seeds of offering more wisdom to your students who you felt were struggling in some um, sections of their career. Mm-hmm. Have you, And then you watered it. You watered that with so much love and focus and dedication. Mm-hmm. Have you seen those seeds like, oh my grow? God. Totally. We have, I think right now we have two or three instructors or teachers who had gone through those online trainings. They're now on Yoga Glow ah, teaching. Wow. Um, Carol Westerman and Alex Van Frank. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody else. Um, we've seen our teachers go on to write books about um, yoga for everybody, you know, like um, that kind of thing. We've seen, um, you know, teachers who were going from being unable to support their families to supporting their families because they're running beginner series mm-hmm. and they're running, you know, they have a marketing plan. They are running workshops and series in their studio, like on a regular basis. Um, <clears throat> one one of our graduates has opened, I don't even know how many studios now throughout Australia. Huh. Um, it's just extraordinary Ugh. that they're really, it's it's touching to see how well they're doing. That feels, I get the chills. I yeah. feel like that is such a, that feels so good. It makes me really happy. Like some, you know, some are, you know, more in the limelight than others, but some are just like plugging away in their local community and they're making like a six-figure income, you know, like because they know how to dial in their privates and they know how to manage their time and they know how to set up series and it's all really low-key and local. It's not famous or whatever, but they're low-key and they're local and they're opening studios and Mm -hmm. serving their communities. And that's how I did it for years in New York City before I moved out to Boulder. So, wow! You gotta just plug away. You don't have to be famous to make a great living as a yoga teacher. I think there's a big misconception around that. Like you have to have, you know, one million Instagram followers and you know be teaching at all these conferences and festivals and stuff to to be making a living. I think you can possibly make more just plugging away in your own community <laughs> and not be famous. Fame doesn't always mean you're making money. So, for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's worth a lot. Yeah. I think that's totally worth the value. Mm-hmm. I think that's almost one of the delusional um, little kind of insights that try to come through Instagram, and it's just not fully in tr- not fully in truth. Well, yeah, and there's so many people in the world that need yoga, like yeah. that also aren't 21 years old. Like, there's mm-hmm. people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and even 70s and 80s who are like, "I need yoga," and the more teachers who know how to work with populations that aren't in it for the big, you know, uh, leg behind the head, foot touching the forehead poses. The more yoga teachers we have that can serve those communities, the better. And those are the ones that are maybe very silently and quietly going to be doing really well as yoga teachers because we are in we are in the biggest baby boomer situation we've ever been in as a planet. Like we have this massive um, generation of older people on the planet. I mean, Japan is like they have they have an aging problem right now because there's not enough young people. To, to like run Japan because there's so many old people. There's not enough young people to take care of the old people. There is a lot of need 
in folks that are a little bit on the older side that need yoga to get out of their aches and pains and that's all they want the practice for is to feel a little peace and to get out of their aches and pains and a lot of the media attention is on you know young yoga practitioners doing crazy things with their body but like the fact is that the majority of people doing yoga are this generation I'm talking about or this this um, series of generations that need yoga really badly there's not enough teachers out there that know how to handle an older body or a creaky body or you know a body that needs therapeutics and that kind of thing so we're trying to train as many of them as we can at 90 monkeys so that it's not you know yeah you can teach advanced asana that's fine we'll teach you how to do that too but you got to know how to help real people you know and that you'll you'll do well as a yoga teacher when you do just saying. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I think uh, kind of leading us into our our final question. Mm-hmm. What would we the one you've given so many nuggets. <clears throat> oh, good. So many nuggets. I'm, I'm a so nugget grateful. giver. I'm we glad. Love it. glad love to it. give some nuggets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what would be one more nugget that you could leave us with? Um, that is for our our journey as humans as we continue off into our days into our lives while practicing. What's something you'll offer to the to the listeners of yoga revealed Mm. podcast Mm. Hmm. i think ritual Mm. ritual is something i've recently been really inspired by is that whatever your ritual is that you do every day do something on a daily basis even if it changes slightly each day um something that makes you wake up in the morning and want to help somebody else have a better day something that makes you want to get up and and help others and that may mean pampering yourself that may mean drinking warm lemon water it might mean sitting down to your meditation cushion and and defining the kind of day that you want to have through your meditation but something every day that that makes you feel better so that you can serve others more fully Ritual. Is there a word for that in Sanskrit? There probably is, and I'm blanking on it. Totally blanking. (laughs) It'll come up later. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you again. It's it's probably somewhat like sadhana or whatever. Sadhana, yeah. Yeah. Practice, practice, Mm -hmm. practice. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for for sharing so much love and revealing Uh to us, you know, where you are, who you are, what you've gone through, and you know what you're, what you're going through. It's so thank amazing you. to to share the wisdom that that you've gathered. Oh, thanks for having me. It's yeah. really an honor to answer yeah. those questions. So, what's next for for Amy in the in the following few months of her, oh my her yoga journey? Well, um, lots of time off actually, because we're we're just coming up on the holidays, Yay. but um when we kick off the new year it's full on teacher training at 90 monkeys we've got a bunch of events going on and we'll check them out yeah why 90 from 90 minutes to change the world it came from the original course cool we wanted to keep a little piece of that nice that's the reason why it was just the word the number 90 well 90 minutes to change the world was um named that way because classically yoga classes were 90 minutes long they're not so much anymore, which is the irony. I know they should be, but they're more like 60 or 45 minutes. So, um, 
but back when I actually started the course, that re- that was just starting to happen, like that the qu- classes got shortened to 60, but 90 was the classic length and duration of class. And so we thought 90 minutes to change the world. I love it. Yeah. And so 90 stuck because it was part of that course, and then we got to put it on to 90 monkeys. Mm-hmm. And we love monkeys. We do love too. monkeys. Yeah. That's why that's <laughs> there. Hanuman. Yeah, totally. Hanuman. <laughs> yep. It's the Hanuman army. The yoga army. Yes. All right. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Alec. Amy. It's great to be here. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> For more motivation from Amy and 90 Monkeys, check out amyipoliti.com and learn all about her teacher trainings located in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. Be sure to visit 90monkeys.com and you can sign up for free updates on professional development as a yoga teacher and check out her online courses. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. My name is Alec Rubin and it is such a joy to share with you what we love, yoga. It means so much to us if you would subscribe to Yoga Revealed on iTunes and rate us with a loving five stars. Check out our SoundCloud, YouTube, and follow us on Instagram for behind-the-scenes footage of the Yoga Revealed podcast team. Thanks for tuning in, yogis. Stay in your practice and share your practice with the world just by being you. It makes the biggest difference. Namaste, my friends. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.